We've been talking about the maturing saint is where we got started, and I guess we want to do a little backtracking because this is really normally part of the Christian life class. Now, again, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I, I think that the Christian life class is probably one of the most important classes that you'll ever take. Now, I remember <clears throat> before I went to seminary, um, growing up, we would go to church all the time. My father was a pastor. He pastored for 43 years in the same church. And I never understood the thing about the Christian life. Never really even heard anything about it. Uh, most of the places where we interacted, it was all Satan. Satan was the main enemy. He did everything. He was the source of everything. And I remember I could not understand how life was working. It was like I was in a dark room and I was just getting wailed on, and I didn't know what, who was beating me up, right? So then you take this Christian life class, and it's like the lights came on, and you can really see what's going on. If you don't know that you have three spiritual enemies, if a believer doesn't understand that, you're going to struggle in this life. You are going to struggle in this life. There's no question about it. And the problem is, and the reason you're going to struggle is you're going to be going through things and you're going to be told by the world that the things that you're going through is something other than what they really are. They're going to tell you that the things you're going through is something other, other than what it really is. And so, really, there's really only three enemies that you understand that we are confronted by, and it's the world system, the flesh, and Satan. It's not really that complicated. I don't think it's that complicated. I think that we complicate it. I think it's pretty simple to see. And so when you understand that, the main enemy that is really an impediment to you and I is not Satan. That was a sobering thought to come to, to understand. That Satan is not the main enemy. And everybody wants to say, oh, it's the devil. I remember growing up and a lot of people saying, the devil's been on my back all day. Really, when you look at what was going on in their life, it wasn't the devil. It was their sin nature was out of control, right? <laughs> it wasn't the devil. And so the devil, I wonder what he thinks at times. He's being blamed for a lot of things that he's not really even doing. <laughs> a lot of the problem that believers have is really the main enemy is inside of me. It's my fallen nature. And so that is an impediment that when I understand how do I overcome my sin nature, that is the thing that will get you on the road to maturity. You have to learn how to overcome your sin nature. You have to learn how to recognize it. And so I think Scott's doing a good job in that class on the Sunday morning of teaching the Christian life. And as you recognize this sin nature and you begin to see the problem that it presents, and it's clear when you are looking at it and you're illuminated from Scripture that the biggest problem that I have is with me. It's with me. And so a lot of people today, and you can see it today, a lot of people, and I hope you as believers are not getting caught up into this, there's a transferal of responsibility for what's going on with people. Nobody wants to say the problem is me. So a lot of the perversions that are going on today, as you very well know, I don't have to talk about them. It shows the sickness of the person. They're sick. Spiritually, there's something wrong with them. 
And nobody wants to say that's what it is. Right. Nobody wants to say that the emperor has no clothes on and nobody wants to say you have no clothes on. Everyone's scared to say it. But if you don't learn how to overcome your sin nature, your fallen nature, you will never grow. And sadly, for a lot of believers, they never do. They can't get off of first base. And we're talking about agape love, and I don't think that on Sundays, and I don't think that you're going to be able to direct agape love if you don't know how to get that sin nature under control. You're not going to be able to do it. And I see it with a lot of believers over the years. I've seen believers strive, and they're just biting their tongue. They're trying their best under their own strength to try to direct agape love. And really all they can muster is phileo because they're not spiritual, so they're not going to be able to direct agape love. And so they're just trying, trying with their own strength, and it makes it very problematic in dealing with other people, particularly other believers, to be able to know how to deal with them because you don't have the love to be able to do it. And so this issue, we, we came up with this chart some years ago. Um, and trying to show you the process of what happens with the sin nature. And really, you can look at this in a, um, with several of the enemies, particularly with Satan. My little pointer is not working. Oh, yeah, it is. So I want to go through this a little bit. So here we have the soul. We have the flesh. The flesh, as we see in Scripture, it wars against the soul. It's an interesting thing, and you see it with a lot of problems that happen in the world system when people, um, say, murder someone. Isn't it interesting how much emotion you see involved in a lot of that? Right. So we see in First Peter it says that uh, the flesh, or the uh, sin nature, this fallen nature of man, it wars against the soul. And so it tries to get an entry to the soul because I, I think that most of the time most people would understand if you actually thought about what you were doing, you wouldn't do it. I think even with the unsaved people. Now, I believe this. I watched it, the picture 48 hours. Me and Joyce have set up and watched this at times. And it's like an exercise in psychology. I'm watching these kids who have murdered someone, right? They're big and bad. They go up, pop, 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 kill somebody. Me, man. <laughs> I gotcha. And then they get into the police interrogation room. And they find out it's them, you did it. And what, what do they do? <laughs> and it's just fascinating to me to see it. How does a guy kill someone and then break down like a baby? <laughs> if you're man enough to do it, aren't you man enough to take it? No. <laughs> it's, it's, it doesn't, it's, it's perplexing to me. It's, but what you see with a lot of it, with the sin nature, it's just emotion driven. It's emotion driven. If you if you actually with a thought, you think about the consequences, most people wouldn't do it. And I think that that's why the sin nature, as it says in First Peter, it tries to get its entryway through the soul. Through your emotions. And Dan talked about it. The soul is it hasn't been saved yet. It's in a fallen state. It can be manipulated. It can be manipulated. And so you see the flesh here. It wars against the soul. There's thoughts that go through the mind. I have here, here's the realm of your human spirit where you're able to use different parts of the mind and 
logically consider things or to frame things and such. <clears throat> and then the, these thoughts go through the mind. And then here's, uh, we've talked about it, we'll see it in Second Corinthians, where Satan manipulates the conclusions of the mind. The results of the mind is it's coming to a conclusion. But uh, this whole process of learning how to recognize the sin nature and how to have victory over it. And Dan was talking about one of those scriptures that as the believer is able to frame his mind on who we are in Christ. That as our minds are reflectively thinking there, the Holy Spirit has the ability to come and take up the fight with the sin nature and give us victory over the sin nature. You and I can't do it. And you've seen it. And, um, you know, how many illustrations do you see in um, uh, life where you tell someone, don't do this, right? Or Paul talks about it in Romans 7, right? That which I did not desire to do, I, I now the, the law came and I want to do it all the more. I keep on doing it, all right? I desire to continue to do it. And there's that dynamic with the sin nature. If you tell it not to do something, it's going to want to do it all the more. The Holy Spirit is the only one that can actually fight this depraved nature and win. And so I can't do it. As I'm reflectively thinking on who I am, the Holy Spirit takes up the battle, and he does it, and he produces um, God's quality of life in me. He fills up what's lacking and I can be spiritual. It's from that point that as a believer, as I'm spiritual, now there's a process of maturation that can take place. And what we're going to see as we go through this is that you can have a lot of knowledge. And this is what I want to guard against. And I've seen it in a lot of uh, doctrinal churches. I've seen it in a lot of doctrinal churches. We have knowledge. <laughs> There is a danger that you take knowledge and that becomes your Christian life. And I can see it. I mean, because you can look out in a lot of churches and you encounter a lot of people and you say, well, I know more than this person. Really? So what? What difference does it make what you know if you're not using it? You see, it doesn't matter how much you or I know. What really matters is are we putting it to practice? Are we putting it to practice? And so now what we're going to see is as we put it to practice, you move from oida knowledge into a realm that we're going to see. If you can go up to the next um, chart. Ne the next one. Now, I think this is how it happens. So you go from order knowledge into this situation where there's experiential knowledge. And then from experiential knowledge into full experiential knowledge. Notice I made this uh, a circle and not a straight line because there's no end to it. It's a process that you get into as you start growing and you're continually, continually maturing. And it's not a, there's not an end game here. So I don't get to a point where I say, ah, I'm done with that. And we'll see that. Paul didn't say that I've arrived. Really, it's an interesting thing that he talks about. He uses, we'll see that when we get to Philippians 3. He uses what is a perfect. And it starts over here, and there's a continuing result with it, right, where it doesn't stop. 
And the moment you say, I've arrived, you will have ended probably your Christian life. And I've seen it. I've seen it with a lot of people. I've been around a lot of churches, and so I've seen a lot of things, maybe some things I've shouldn't have seen. But one of the things that I've seen as a characteristic are a lot of people who have been in church for a long time, and they say, well, I'm deacon so-and-so, and you're going to respect me because I've been here for however many years. whoop de doo What's, a, what's sad is you've been here for that many years and you still haven't grown. It's an indictment. It's an indictment. You see, it's not something to say, I've been around for this many years, but I'm still the same way I was 10 or 15 years ago. It's sad. That's not something to brag about, you see. And there's a lot of people that do. And so the whole purpose is what, as we see it, what we're, as we go on, is that it's maturation. That's what God wants. He doesn't want people to just to take in information and to say, hey, I've got information. I've got information. That doesn't matter. It's a means to an end. It's not the end. You see. It's not the end. It's a means to an end. And so uh, as believers, as we are spiritual, as the Holy Spirit's filling us, we are gaining experiential knowledge. And so now you're, you're growing. The Holy Spirit's taking this information that you've learned and now you're seeing different experiences that he's bringing into your life. And you're beginning to understand, oh, that's what that meant. Oh, this is how that works. And now you're in this little circular motion of maturation where you're gaining understanding and that understanding just doesn't go stale. Now you move from this understanding and you can go into another area of a full experiential knowledge, you see. And that understanding deepens. And you ask yourself, how many believers ever get to this point? I hope everyone here does. That you're not just satisfied with all of the information that is being taught here. That that's just first base. But that you're going to take that information and allow the Holy Spirit to take that information and to put it into practice. And your understanding will deepen. And grow. And then you know what will happen? You need not even say a word. Your life will speak for who you are. That's why I look over at the Fasten Likens and I just love Dave talked about that when we were in seminary. That's the, that's the best group of people you can find in Scripture. And I'm thinking, ah, that's a little bit of an exaggeration, right? But look here, before we get into our introduction, let me show you. Look at First Thessalonians. And look at what it says about these people. And you can see that the maturation process had already stored it. And you can see that they are actually taking what was said and actually applying it. And they didn't have all of these hangups that people have today. They, they weren't into who said it and how it was said and all of that. Just look at, look at the second chapter and then we'll go back to the first chapter because that's very important. Look at first chapter two uh, of first Thessalonians and look at what he said. Um, 
Notice he says in um, verse 8, so you being affectionately uh, desirous of, uh, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to impart to you not the, on, the uh, gospel of God only, but our own souls, because you were dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and travail, our laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable to any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. You were witnesses of God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved among ourselves among you that believed. And you, as you know how we exhorted and confident charged every one of you as a father does his children, that you would walk worthy of God who has called you uh, to kingdom and glory. And for this cause we thank God without ceasing because when you received the word of God which you've heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which affectionately worketh also in you that believe. And just look at these saints. They weren't sitting up arguing about, you know, the validity of Scripture. The Holy Spirit was working in such a way that they understood that this was directly from God. These were not just the words of men. And notice the results of it in chapter 1. Verse 3, remembering without ceasing your work from faith, fruit of the Spirit, your labor from love, fruit of the Spirit, your patience from hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God our Father, knowing, brethren, your election of God. For our gospel came to you not in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know how mu uh, what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction. Notice, fruit of the Spirit with joy. Uh, and notice, from the Holy Spirit. And so as they were growing and they were maturing, notice, I, I just find it interesting when I was out on my route for FedEx, you watch people and you, get, you see all the bumper stickers, right? All of these religious bumper stickers, they always make me laugh. You know, the best bumper sticker is your life. That's the best bumper sticker. It really is. I have tried to stray away from wearing crosses. I don't try to wear a collar. Nobody needs to know that I'm clergy. There's not a clergy sticker on the back of my car. When I was on my route, I made it my purpose not to tell one single person I was a pastor. It was funny because when people found out, you know what they would do? They changed. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I mean, what are you saying? I mean, me? So you're going to tell me, you're going to say this, you're sorry to me, but God hears you. So you really should be concerned about, right? So none of these things really matter. Really, my life should speak for what it is. Not some bumper sticker. Not some shirt that says, I go to Grace Bible Church. My life should be the testimony of who I am. And so as you learn how to recognize your spiritual enemies, the world system, the flesh, and Satan, and you learn how to overcome the sin nature, then you, you hit this area of maturation where you can start growing and maturing, and your understanding 
will become deeper and deeper and deeper. You see? But the problem is that sometimes we don't get off first base. You know, a lot of us have not learned how to overcome our sin natures. And that's really the biggest impediment to uh, spiritual maturity, and it's going to trip you up every time. Now, notice someone made this statement about physical growth. Everyone grows old. Maturity, however, is optional. <laughs> that's true. How many people do you know that they're older? It used to be when I was younger, they would say that an older person is wise. And most of the time that held true. I haven't found it that much today. (laughs) I've seen a lot of people who have grown old, but they have not grown wise. And some of the things they're saying and doing is probably worse than a lot of the younger kids in a lot of ways. So the desire of every parent for their children is that they grow. They grow. I mean, you would want we were sitting there watching Darlene as the Cohen started growing. And uh, it was interesting. He didn't um, crawl uh, in, a, in the way that you would see people crawl. He was just scoot. <laughs> and I was saying to myself, and I didn't say it to Darlene, I hope he grows up. I hope this is not something he does for a long period of time. <laughs> this looks kind of weird. <laughs> but he finally grew out of it. <laughs> and he started walking. Right? And you say, <laughs> so you look at growth, right? When you see growth, you are you you you're, you think that's a wonderful thing. It's wonderful to see growth. Uh, spiritually, it should be wonderful. We should all celebrate as you see believers growing, as they're growing. Someone told uh, Miss J back some years ago when we were uh, together that uh, the I don't know if she remembers this, that a a a healthy church is a church that grows, not spiritually, numerically, (laughs) not spiritually, numerically. And I I beg to differ. Uh, So it is abnormal for a parent not to expect the physical and emotional development of their children. So kids who don't mature physically or emotionally are viewed as suffering some kind of deficiency. It's funny that we don't see that spiritually. I've been in churches where I've seen some things happen and people were like, "Eh, it's not that big big a deal. And they just go on like, okay, and I didn't know. I knew something was wrong. I didn't have any context to understand how bad it was. Having learned what the sin nature looks like, I think back to some of those times and I said, oh, my goodness. (laughs) That was really bad. And so you don't... you know, people have no frame of reference for that. And so grace believers have the ability to grow and to mature spiritually. Spiritual maturity can be defined as, and I like, this is Dr. Schaefer in his book on the maturing of the spiritual Christian. It can be defined uh, this way. All Christians grow, are maturing, is, uh, all Christian growth or maturing is in the realm of experiential knowledge. So it's not just knowing the facts. Knowing the facts is not going to help you to grow. It's a starting point. It's the fuel that you need to get the car going. But it's not going to help you to grow. It's, it's necessary for sure. 
But notice what happens. That maturity happens in the realm of experiential knowledge. So what we're going to see is that we're going to see is there's three realms of knowledge. And so you have oida knowledge, which is learning the facts about something. And this happens, you know, in and outside of the church. You learn some information, right? And you know that information, but you don't really understand what it means. Have you ever experienced that? I'm sure everybody's experienced that, right? You, you learn some information, but you don't understand it. But it, you, it hangs with you, right? And at some point, you, you get some experience with that, and you say, oh, yeah, now that makes sense. Now, you can go down the line. I, I'll give you an example of this. It's with, when I started with FedEx. They took us to school, and uh, we were in school for two weeks, and they went through all of this information. And you begin to think, how am I going to remember all of this? It was just an unbelievable amount of information. But then you take that, and they kept telling us, oh, you, when you get into this situation, this is going to happen. When you get into this situation, you need to do this. When you get into this situation, you need to do this. Then when I got on the road, I started experiencing some of those things. One of the things they told us is never put your key down. I don't know if they did this at UPS, Dan. I hate to even say those words. <laughs> never put your key down. Because when you put your key down, you end up locking yourself in your van. Fortunately, that never happened to me, but on a couple of occasions, it almost did. And what did I think back to? What they told me in class. Oh, this is why they said you should always keep your key on your hand. Because if you don't, you're going to lock yourself in your truck. Right? And there's embarrassingly has happened many times to a lot of couriers. And it's an embarrassing thing to have them have to send out a tow truck. <laughs> and it's, it can be an embarrassment. But you see, they said that. I had n- knowledge of it. And then I got into a situation where it says, oh, that's what they meant. I almost did that. I almost did that. And so this idea, he says, All Christian growth or maturing is in the realm of experiential knowledge, which is intellectual knowledge put into practice. Intellectual knowledge put into practice. Now, you've heard of people who are just educated fools. I think there are more educated fools per capita than ever before. It's just fascinating to me that I can see people that have a lot of education in a lot of areas, but they don't know how to do anything outside of that. And they, it doesn't seem to be, have any practical value in their life at, at all. And so it's, it's this information, and I, and I do think today probably people are isolated into learning one discipline. And I think when we were growing up, we learned a more variety, a varied discipline, right, of a lot of things. And so these kids today, they're locked into understanding one thing. But this idea of learning information and then learning how to take that information and put it to practice. Right. Football. Anybody has ever played any kind of sports? You learned in the locker room. They went through all of the plays. You got out on the field and then you'd walk through the plays and you say, oh, that's what they meant. That's what that was about. And so there's this practice. And so one gains actual experience based upon that knowledge. Based upon that knowledge. Head knowledge then becomes knowledge related to experience. Head knowledge becomes knowledge related to experience. 
Now, <clears throat> one of the things that you find is that it even goes further than that. And he doesn't address it in his statement. But you go from oida knowledge, which is just factual knowledge, to gnosko knowledge, which is understanding, to epigonosco, and you've been doing it at that point over and over and over that you even now begin to see nuances, right? When I first went out on the road for FedEx, I was just holding to the book. <laughs> Everything was by the book, right? But then when I got experience, <laughs> I didn't even think about the book. I started thinking about other different ways you could do it, right? And you've gained so much experience that you know it backwards and forwards. I told somebody I started getting bored on my job there at the end because it was ra- rarely a day because I had worked for FedEx for 29 years. It was a rare day that something happened that caused me to just go into a full scale panic. Right. Why? Because I had done it so much. I had knowledge upon knowledge upon knowledge. I knew all the different ways I could run my route. I could run it this way. I could run it this way. I knew all of the rules. I knew what I could do, what I couldn't do. And that came from having done it over and over and over and over and over again. And there's an experience that you get with that. And there's an experience that you get spiritually when you put to practice what it is you know. It's a similar situation happened. And so the believer that fails to mature has not arrived at the destination that has been provided for him in his dispensation of grace. And so what God is trying to do, I believe, and I think that we're, we're being directed in a different way, in a lot of ways, excuse me, off path in which one of the things we um, have told you before, I think evangelism has been taken in a direction that is not biblical. Right. And so what what is that doing? The focus on that is really deterring people from doing what God wants, which is living out a routine manner of life that would be a witness to the world and to doing all this helter skelter stuff that the church is telling you you need to do. And it's really become a distraction in a lot of ways. The Jewish believers in the book of Hebrews, for example, were not maturing They had given up on living the Christian life due to persecutions. These believers were desiring to go back under law. The Apostle Paul wrote to exhort them to leave the things of law and be born on to maturity. And it's interesting, we're going to see that when we get to um, Hebrews 6. It's in the passive voice. Now, why do I say that? Because you're not maturing yourself, you see. The Holy Spirit's the one that's doing the job. You're not doing it. And so you put yourself in a position where the Holy Spirit can actually do the work as you get yourself out of the way. Once, uh, one, believer, once a believe, one believes the facts of the gospel, the potential exists for maturity. So, however, maturity is not guaranteed. It's not guaranteed. It's not guaranteed that just because you learn information, you're going to mature. You can learn information, and you, there's a lot of people that have come through FedEx, and I don't know, Dan, you can speak about the, um, UPS and Scott seen FedEx, that they just never got it. They just, I, you could tell people who came into FedEx that you just said, ah, this person probably might want to look for another job. <laughs> you could just see they just didn't get it. And, and then you, soon enough, I've seen people go out on the road and they go into a full-scale panic. They just can't handle it. And, you know, they had the same facts that we had, right? 
but they never grasp it. And similarly, what could, that can happen spiritually. Uh, so maturity is not guaranteed. Encounters with the believer's enemies, and I believe here, it really goes back to this. I don't believe that there's all these different enemies that are out here and that we have to account for. I really think there's just three. I really do. The world system, the flesh, and Satan. The world tries to make you look like there's all these boogeymen out there trying to get you. And boy, you just don't know where, where they're going to pop up from, right? What is it like, that whack-a-mole game? You know, where are these things going to pop up at? And how am I going to be able to deal with them? Right? And it's not that. It's not that. It's, it's really not that. It's really you have three enemies. And as you learn how to overcome them, uh, you will have the opportunity to grow. So notice uh, these often derail believers from sustained growth and thereby maturation. What has occurred to me as I've been uh, ministering over the last 20-something years is that I look at the problems that I talk to believers about. And, you know, we have that, uh, um, that quiz in the bulletin, and we have it there for a reason. And the reason for that quiz is to try to see if you can recognize your spiritual enemies. Now, why is that? Do we just put that in the bulletin just to titillate you, just so that you can have fun? No, I think... One of the things that we would desire that that would, would do is to help you to recognize what are you seeing in front of you? What, what kind of scenario are you looking at? And what I've noticed is that a lot of believers will go through life and they're not recognizing what's happening in front of them. They're not recognizing that under the category of what Scripture calls one of their enemies. And they'll categorize it something else, right? They'll call it something else, and they're not calling it what the Bible calls it. And, and that really uh, causes some issues. Now, notice God has provided a means for believers to mature. He doesn't, however, force the believer to mature. mature. He's not going to force you and I. He's not going to come down and say, okay, Kevin, come on now. Come on, you need to grow up. You need to do that. Well, in, in a way... Some of that happens, and we'll see, as we take the Lordian table, right? It's a beautiful thing when you find out in 1 Corinthians uh, 11 what, what it says there. Paul says, if you judge yourself, you will not be judged. But we're judged, and when we're judged, we're chastened of the Lord that we might, we might not be condemned with the world. And so as I am able to examine myself and see what's going on in my life and correct that, then God doesn't have to intervene. Scripture teaches that the maturing believer is more capable of being effective in God's program than those believers who are not. So we will consider in this class, what is maturity? What does the believer gain? Uh, how does the believer gain maturity? And why is spiritual maturity important? So we will discover from this class also that Scripture teaches that immaturity is abnormal. That's not a normal thing. It's not a normal thing for a believer not to grow, not to mature. Uh, so it is abnormal in uh, physical growth and is abnormal in spiritual growth. And we'll see that it's the maturing believer that is well positioned to accomplish all God desires for him in this dispensation of grace. I've often said, I wonder what it's going to be like after the rapture or on the other side of death. Because we're going to have probably 2020 vision, right? And what will we think? I don't think that we're going to cry and fall down and say, oh, Lord, I wish I'd had another chance to do that. But think about it. Uh, um, we have many admonitions in Scripture that tell, uh, think about uh, uh, Colossians 4, buy out the time, 
right? Take advantage of the season. And so, you know, I'm just in some of the thinking is, you know, I do this. So I don't know. You probably don't. And you some, some days you just take it off and you say, la da 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 I'm going to do this and this and this. And some of it, you know, ain't got nothing to do with God's will. <laughs> Not one thing to do with God's will. You just sit up and say, I'm going to just, I'm just going to do me today. <laughs> right? And, I mean, and those things happen. I mean, not that that's a bad thing, but, you know, you know when it is. And so, and so we don't always uh, avail ourselves to doing what God desires, and, and that could be a problem. Now, notice there, uh, we want to look at and just get into this uh, real quickly, that there are various ma- uh, maturity-related words used in the Old and New Testaments. And so I use that word lightly because there wasn't any maturation uh, in the Old Testament like it is in the New Testament. And so it's really interesting some of the words that they use, um, and maybe we'll stop right here because we don't want to get into that because it's going to be a little involved. But what we're going to see is the word perfection or perfect. And so you get into some of these Old Testament saints and some of the things, even the pre-Old Testament saints, let me say, before the law. And you'll see that some of those guys, some of the things that are said about them, like Job, that he was perfect. What does that mean? that mean that Job had the ability to mature like you and I today? What does it mean when it says that Noah was perfect in his generations? Was Noah able to manifest God's life like you and I today? (laughs) What does that mean? I mean, those are really important questions, and we'll look at that, and we'll look at some of those terms, and then we'll look at the terms for spiritual maturity in this dispensation, and we'll see... uh, that uh, it's used quite a bit, and it's used to indicate how the believer can grow and mature through uh, putting that head knowledge to practice, and that head knowledge becomes understanding, full experiential understanding. And I think that the believer, <clears throat> when he's able to do that, that it really makes an impact. I really believe that the maturing believer is the one that people see and they say, huh, I wonder why that person does that. Why do they, why do they live that way? I, I'm reminded that Dr. Schaefer used to always say, and he had in his very graphic way that he used to say it, live it, don't lip it. Live it, don't lip it. And there's a lot of believers, there's a lot of lipping. The flapping of the gums. Well, not the gums, it's lips. <laughs> you don't flap gums, I don't think. Okay, the flapping of the lips. <laughs> okay, right. And I, keep, and I keep getting stuck on it. And I keep getting stuck on it. Okay, well, whatever the, <laughs> the illustration is. Um, but it, it's what we're going to see as we hopefully go through this class and look at these, these uh, scriptures re- relative to maturity is that you'll see that the emphasis is on living it, allowing the Holy Spirit to produce it. It's, there's no, I mean, I don't have to sit up and try to do it myself. The Holy Spirit will, will do it as I allow him to do it. He will do it as I, allow, I will allow him to do it. He will do it. And so we'll see that as we uh, hopefully we'll get through the terms uh, next week.